taken from Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. Great to have you here with us today. If you're visiting this morning, it's wonderful to have you here, especially you're our guest, and I just want to extend a very warm welcome to you. I'd like to take a moment, first and foremost, to really thank and honour Ross Young and uh, the team, the Catalyst team, and all those who volunteered yesterday to make the Ethical Trade Expo such a, a wonderful time and success. Can we please give Ross and his team a warm hand? That's the 10th expo that, uh, that, that Ross and his team have uh, put on, and it's a, it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful, wonderful effort. So God bless you. And a very uh, warm and happy Father's Day to all our fathers who are here this morning. Um, really encouraged by Steve Bidoff, who says that family life is a work in progress. <laughs> that really encourages me as a dad because, you know, it's such an up and down journey, uh, but it's never finished as long as we're alive, as long as we're dads. And uh, I don't know what your journey is like, um, but the journey isn't finished. <laughs> You're not finished as a dad. And if you still have a father who is alive, well, that relationship still continues. And may God pour his blessing upon those relationships. We come to a very special passage of, Chris, of um, our series today, The Manhood of Jesus. We're considering the humanity of Christ this term. And today we arrive at Philippians 2, uh, 1 to 11, uh, a classic verse that really highlights the incredible journey that Jesus took um, in the process of the incarnation as he came from the heights of heaven to the cross of Calvary. Now, none of us can, can even come close to comprehending the heights of heaven, the place where Jesus left, the glory of being equal with God, uh, to the cross of Calvary. None of us have experienced that kind of humiliating death, obviously. And so when we, when we consider 
the, the depth of Christ's humility for us and for all who would call upon his name. Um, it's a marvellous passage, and it, it's actually, of all the passages that I can think of in terms of fixing our eyes on Jesus, it's such a beautiful passage to meditate upon. And uh, I really invite you to take some time out, maybe during the week, to really meditate upon this passage of Scripture, to really fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and the extent that he went to to demonstrate the love of God. This passage that we're looking at this morning really has two strong emphasis. And the first is on magnifying Christ. And as we will see as we walk through the passage, there is just so much in this passage that highlights the extent of Christ's great love for all people. And it's a wonderful magnification of him. But Paul's concern in writing this passage is the prioritization of one another in our relationships. He magnifies and highlights the glory of Christ as an example for us to look to in our relationships with one another. Now, the context of the letter to the Philippians is that it was written by the Apostle Paul and it was written whilst he was in chains. He says in chapter 1, I am in chains for Christ. Uh, Paul writes as a pastor who had planted the Philippian church. He's obviously no longer with them, but he has a great pastoral concern. He dearly loves these people. He says, I have you in my heart. And as he's writing, he's thinking of the names and the faces and the lives of those people who he invested in and he continues to love. And the purpose of the letter, there's a number of different purposes. He really wants to encourage uh, his fellow believers in uh, the persecution that they are facing externally. He's wanting to affirm in them their partnership in the gospel, that even though Paul is no longer present with them physically, uh, they are still working together, partnering together in the gospel. And the Philippian church was one of Paul's financial supporters. So a little bit like we support those, so the Houston or the Dennis family, Paul was like a missionary that this church congregation supported. And he's wanting to thank them and affirm them for that partnership. And finally, he wants to address division that has taken place in the body. Uh, in chapter 4, there is a particular division between two women, Eudia and Syntyche, and Paul is wanting to address that division. It could be that the church has perhaps had a bit of a split and that some people in the congregation have taken one side and other people have taken another side. And there's division in the community. And Paul is wanting to write and he's wanting to encourage unity and he says that unity is going to come about through humility. Remember, Paul is writing this letter whilst he is in chains. Paul's concern is not at all for his own personal welfare. In fact, he views his chains as a positive thing because more and more people, particularly those of the palace guard, are coming to hear about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. His greatest concern is for the witness of the gospel and the division or the disunity within the fellowship is, is, is a bad thing. It's, it's not at all helpful in terms of the gospel witness and that's why Paul wants to write into that space and encourage the believers to put their differences aside and to love one another for the sake of the gospel. We read just a little bit earlier in chapter 1 verse 27 whatever happens conduct yourselves in a manner worthy 
of the gospel. And this is really the heartbeat of what Paul is wanting to communicate to the church. Whatever happens, may your behaviour, may your conduct, may your attitude be befitting of the gospel of Christ. Let's walk through this passage. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In Greek culture, the word if can also mean since. And in verse 1, Paul is, is, is asking these questions. Therefore, if you have any encouragement if any comfort, if any common sharing, if any tenderness and compassion. If we read that with the word since, it makes a little bit more sense. Since you have. And Paul is going to espouse all of these blessings and benefits that the body of Christ has through the person of Christ. Since you have encouragement from being united in Christ, since you have comfort from his love, since you have a common sharing in the spirit, since you've received tenderness and compassion, Christ has poured out all of these blessings and benefits upon you. Therefore, be like-minded, have the same love, share, uh, be one in spirit and mind, do nothing out of selfish motives or vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but the interests of others. Paul is incredibly practical in his application. After he gives the application, he's then going to give the most incredibly rich Christology. Christology means the study of Christ. And what Paul is wanting to do in a moment is really hold up the person of Christ as an example. Now, you might like to think of Paul giving a half-time speech uh, to his team. Um, and when a coach wants to inspire and motivate their team, they will often hold up an exemplary player, perhaps a player who achieved great things for their club, as someone who is a real legend. And what Paul does here is he holds up the example of Christ as the ultimate illustration of a person who was so humble and out of that space of humility demonstrated God's great love. The example of Christ is one of humility. Christ came from heaven to earth and he took on the form not only of a man but of a humble servant. The example of Christ is an example of humility. 
The example of Christ is an example of selflessness. We see in the actions that Christ took, he was constantly thinking of others. He was thinking of how he could make a way for men and women, boys and girls, to be reunited with God the Father in right relationship. He was thinking of a way to be able to deal with the sin problem. We see the incredible example of Christ's long-suffering. Innocent though he was, he went to the cross and experienced the most humiliating death. And we see in Christ an incredible example of a singleness of purpose. The glory of God was Christ's focus. He was constantly pointing others to his Father and his desire was to bring glory to God. May we too share this same desire that Christ did. Paul then goes on to say, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, other translations will say attitude, have the same mindset or attitude as Christ Jesus. Now, when I read these first five verses of Philippians chapter 2, I'm left thinking, okay, these are all the things I need to do. I need to alter my behavior to become more considerate of others. I need to somehow try and humble myself. I need to learn to think less of myself so that I can think more of others. And this is all true. But as we've spoken of many times before, if all we do is try to concentrate on our outward actions, on our behaviours, we're going to have very little success. What we first need to address is our mind. We need to address our thoughts. And it's only through changing our mindset that a different outcome will result. It's only through changing our thoughts that the actions will flow. And so into this space, Paul wants to hold up the example of Christ and somehow try and communicate the mystery of the incarnation so that we and so that Paul's original audience, but all who hear this passage, would catch something of a glimpse of the humility of the other's centeredness of Christ and therefore seek to imitate that. Paul carries on in verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. I just want to pause there for a moment. What we have here is um, a comment about the pre-incarnate Christ. So before Jesus came to earth as a man... He was equal with God. And in his equality with God, he's not considering himself to be equal with God. (laughs) Now, what I find amazing about this is that the nature of Christ and of God is totally perfect. God didn't change his nature when sin entered the world. God did not become humble when sin entered the world. Jesus 
did become incredibly humble as a result and he did step in to our to our world he became a human and he died on the cross but it was already in God's character in God's nature to be selfless and to be others centered and we see that operating in the trinity this is the nature of our God God didn't change his character or his nature because of sin this is who our God is the God who humbles himself the God who is constantly thinking about the glory of the other he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage what we see in the relationship of the Trinity the father and the son is a relationship of wanting to constantly honor and serve and uphold the other this is the nature and the character of our God verse 7 rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross in these three verses we see Christ go from the highest of highs the heights of heaven to the lowest of lows humiliation on the cross the highest of highs we see the pre-incarnate Christ we see him in his very nature being an equal member of the Godhead we see him uh, in a sense on his throne in total control we we know that Christ is an agent in creation Hebrews 1 to 3 says in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven what we need is to capture something of the majesty and the glory of Jesus it's interesting to think through creation in a sense in creation God the Father is like the master designer he's like the architect Christ is like the builder and Christ who is the agent by which creation came into being is the very one who came to the earth he humbled himself he didn't come with royalty and riches he came in poverty he lived as a sojourner and he really i mean when we think about christ's pre-incarnate and um his current place in heaven equal with god still a man still fully god the time that jesus spent on earth 33 or so years 
is such a small amount of time. But oftentimes, when we think of Christ, when we think of him, we think of him as the man. And that's good. We need to, you know, often biblical writers such as Paul point to us to Jesus as an example to look to. But we need to look to him not just in his humanity here on earth, but in his glorification in heaven. And consider the journey that Jesus took. If we as God's people could recapture or capture something of the glory and the majesty of Jesus, I think we would be all the better for it. Not only would we seek to be people who bring him more glory, but we would indeed seek to be people who become more like him. From the lowest of lows, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant. He humbled himself and he died a most shameful, humiliating death. So much of this is so difficult for us to get our heads around. We don't fully appreciate the humiliation of crucifixion. We don't hear as... Most of us would be sort of middle-class, comfortable Christians living on the beautiful central coast of Australia. We have such good and prosperous lives. It's so hard for us to even understand how low Christ stooped, coming from the heights and the glory of heaven to being born in poverty and to living his life as a servant. It's such a dramatic journey that he took. To then die the most humiliating, excruciating death known to mankind. Now, at this point in our passage, and many people have asked this question, when Christ left the heights and the glory of heaven and he came to earth and he took on, he embodied the life of a servant, of a slave, did he leave his divine nature behind is Christ truly fully God and fully man and verse 7 the word the Greek word is kenosis and it means to empty other translations say he emptied himself our translation says NIV he made himself nothing he emptied himself It's really important that we understand that Jesus, whilst being fully man, was also fully God. He did not pour something out of himself. He did not become any less divine by becoming human. But he actually poured out himself. That's how he lived his life. Rather than becoming any less He added humanity to himself. I think a helpful illustration for this, and it's a good one for Father's Day, is imagine if you had the opportunity, guys, to go to a BMW dealership and pick any car that you want and take it for a test drive. And you are caught by the beauty of this blue, shiny Beamer. 
and the dealer hands you the keys and you're able to take this for a really good test run. Now, similar to the conditions we've had this week, it has been pouring rain, torrential rain. And you want to take this car out for a really, really good run and you're going to take it out to the country roads where it's dirty and muddy. And after having a really, really good drive of this car, you come back to the showroom (laughs) and the car is absolutely covered in mud. And the dealer says, what have you done to my car? What have you taken away from my car? And you as the driver say to him, well, I haven't taken anything. All all I've done is add to it. (laughs) You see, the beauty of the car is still there. However, the mud diminishes the shine of the car. The shine is still there, right? In a sense, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't become any less divine. But in a sense, by adding humanity, some of his divinity was diminished, in a sense, from our view. This is the incarnation. In Jesus' time, humility was not a virtue. It was not something that was seen to be a positive attribute. In fact, it was seen as an absolute weakness. What Paul is holding up to us as an an example to follow in Paul's time, in Jesus' time, was by no stretch of the imagination a positive thing to do. People would never lower themselves voluntarily. It's entirely the wrong way to do things. You would only, only ever lower yourself to someone who is greater, more deserving of honour. In his book, Humilitas, John Dixon writes that humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. That actually sounds like a really good illustration of what Jesus did for us. He forgoed his status as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords. And he deployed all of his resources, his perfection, his capacity to live a perfect life, his capacity to be the ultimate sacrifice that would pay for our sins. And his influence, he used all of this for the benefit and the good of others. Jesus is all about serving. And in God's economy, the greatest is always the servant. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the foot-washing God. He humbled himself that he might lift up others. 
Humility does that. Humility lifts others. And that's what Jesus did. And before we can begin to think about how we can humble ourselves and serve one another and think less of ourselves and more of others, we must first grasp and appreciate all that Christ has done for us. You can't do anything for Jesus until you begin to grasp what he has done for you. And again, I invite you to meditate on this wonderful passage of Scripture. Literally, sit with it. Slowly ingest it and allow the glory and the humility of Christ's selflessness, of his service to wash over you and to create a grander picture in your heart and in your mind of who is your Lord and your Saviour. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. What a, beautiful, what a beautiful exaltation we see here now. We see the risen Christ exalted to the highest place. There is a day coming when every knee will bow, when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is all at the Father God's initiative. And Jesus delights in this because it brings glory to God the Father. What we see in Christ is that he is always for others. He thinks of others. Even in his, even his pre-incarnate state, he doesn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped. He's thinking of how he can serve the Father. He serves us. He humbles himself and becomes a slave. He sacrifices his life. And even in his glorification, he brings glory and magnification to the name of God. Go and do the same is in essence what Paul is wanting to say. Jesus is our Model. When we look at Jesus, we see the way that he came from heaven to earth. He sets for us an incredible example. We cannot do this on our own. He sent his Holy Spirit to be our mode, to enable us to become more and more like him. Jesus is our model and Jesus is our mode. In closing... This is a very appropriate text, I think, for Father's Day. You see, to be a father is to be a servant. To be a father is to think less of yourself and to think more of others, to think of your family, to think of your wife, to think of your children. In a sense, being a father you, you lose something of yourself. You pour something of yourself out so that others may grow, so that others may learn, so that others may flourish. And interestingly, 
Jesus didn't do what he did so the Father would glorify him. He was always thinking of how he could glorify the Father. But in Jesus' obedience and willingness to submit to the Father and obey the Father, God glorified Jesus. No father becomes a father so that in his old age he will become the pride and the glory of his children. But that's what ends up happening as fathers. If we love and serve our children, then we will end up becoming their glory. I haven't really experienced it yet, but I know there's glory in fatherhood. And uh, I'm... I'm (laughs) I know there is. And I know for all of the... And really when we get into this golden grandparent age, and there's a lot of grandparents in this room, that seems to be a pretty glorious stage of life. And I don't appreciate that yet, but one day I, I pray that I will... And I see many of you grandparents just delighting in the joy of grandchildren. What an incredible gift and blessing that is. You don't go into parenting for that glory. But when we serve and love our families, as Christ served and loved us, the glory will come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. Lord, I... Don't feel as though I've really done it justice. It's just such a magnificent passage of Scripture that really, Lord, it is so hard for us to get our minds around the enormity, the magnitude, Jesus, of your humility, of your sacrifice, of your selflessness, all for the sake of others. Jesus, I pray that you might Grant each one of us, through and by your Holy Spirit, something, Lord, of the spirit of selflessness and humility and genuine love for the other that we see in Jesus in these words this morning that we've looked at. And Lord, may they result in us becoming a people who love one another, who choose to honour one another above ourselves, who think of the other. Ultimately, Lord, for the sake of the gospel and for the glorification and the majesty of both the name of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, and God, our Heavenly Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.